If it's in your sights, it's on my radar. I'm Raven Harrison. We'll be airborne shortly. As the midterms approach, we can all agree that we are in the midst of the longest, most excruciating I told you so and the accelerated destruction of our country playing out in real time. We've got work to do. My goal here with this podcast, with this segment, is to give people not only the bad side, but what do we intend to do about it? Faith without works is dead. So let's have a plan. God at the helm, transparency in our process, and verbs in our sentences. So let's start by assessing what it really is. What's really going on in our country right now? I and many Americans are watching what's playing out in real time right before us. So what do we got? We have a joke of an administration that has yielded the following catastrophes that we're dealing with in real time. We have skyrocketing inflation. Everyone can see this unless you have the benefit of living in the gaslight that the far left is trying to have shine on what we're all seeing with our own eyes. There is no universe that we can convince sane, patriotic Americans that 8% inflation is a good thing. It is crippling our economy, which is on life support at the moment. We also have unprecedented censorship of conservatives like myself and others going on at the moment. Free speech is our most fundamental and defining right of our democracy. Our constitutional republic is predicated on the voices and the passion of free men and women. We also have escalating tensions with our allies and adversaries. We have a nuclear Armageddon getting ready to form in Russia-Ukraine conflict. It is horrible. How did it start? It's escalating. Bombs are literally bursting in air. What's our plan? We also have a staple here in Texas is our wide open southern border. Thanks to the border czar, Kamala, the cackler, and his emptiness, Biden, we have rolled out a welcome mat for cartels, sex traffickers, fentanyl, and illegal border crossers, which is crippling our economy and our infrastructure. It is overwhelming our resources, and it is against the oath that every one of these politicians took to secure and protect American citizens. It is beyond unconscionable what is going on in our country. Now, that's the bad news, <laughs> and that's pretty bad. But here's what we can all agree on, is that each one of these has a solution, and we need to start tackling those as we move forward. That's my plan. As much as I know you guys all want to sit here and watch me talk, we really need to have a plan of attack. And we are good at that. So let's start by attacking these one at a time. So we've got the midterms coming up. November 8th is our general election. And we have a lot of people who stand behind and are really encouraged by the red wave. 
I am moderately hopeful for what we're planning on seeing on November 8th, but I'm also cautious. History has shown us that the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And Lord knows we have a lot of bad behavior that's going on right now as a precedent. But here's what we do know. So the Dems hold a 20, 220 to 212 majority in the House currently. We're looking at needing a net five gain in the November 8th election for us to regain the House. We are split 50-50 in the Senate. So as far as the red wave goes, we also have to take into consideration the changes that are coming because of the redistricting we have. So the redistricting based on the 2020 census, which should have been a little bit more transparent, but for the purposes of our podcast, let's just outline they saw a net gain of congressional seats in six states. I've got a graphic up on the screen right now for those of us who are listening, showing where we have net gains and losses. So we picked up six congressional seats. We picked up seats in six congressional states. So the purple that uh, those of us who are watching are looking at show the losses. California, Michigan, Illinois, Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and New York all lost seats, seven in total. The green we're seeing, Oregon, Montana, Colorado, North Carolina, Florida, and the great state of Texas all picked up seats. So that is very, very encouraging going in. Uh, What we need to see behind all of that is there is a lot of wiggle room that's going to be happening on November 8th. So we not only have to remove the radical communist agenda that is taking over our country, but we also have to hold accountable the spineless, wishy-washy, milk-toast Republican and independent representation we have had in the House thus far. It does no good if we don't stand behind our principles. If you don't stand for something, come on, you guys have heard this one, you'll fall for anything. So we have to move on for that. We also have to look on what's going on around the world. Foreign policy, we are in an epic disaster. So let's talk about the catastrophe that is unfolding in the Russia-Ukraine debacle. Foreign policy, which is non-existent, is dead. So we have to look at what it is. People are asking, is nuclear war really a possibility? I would say that the fact that the Biden administration has purchased $290 million worth of anti-radiation tablets from big pharmaceutical companies as a good indicator of what they believe our chances are. So I would instruct any Patriots Americans to be prepared. I would also advise any Americans who are thinking what I'm thinking, which is I'm wondering if I can claim Ukraine as a dependent on my taxes in 2022 to investigate that with your financial advisor, with all the foreign aid that is going out to this, com- to this country. So I would also like for Americans to pay attention to what is happening on our southern border. This is not a drill, guys. We have fentanyl coming in. We're getting ready to go into Halloween, and people are wondering if that's going to be disguised in with the candy their kids are receiving. We have this problem out of control, and it is 
funneling right through our southern border. That affects us frontline and first here in Texas, and it is absolutely an outrage. We should have our border secured. As much as I'm enjoying watching DeSantis and Abbott bus and ship these migrants to these sanctuary cities, it's not a solution to the problem. We have to get real about this. We cannot leave a welcome mat for drug dealers, drugs, and crime at our southern border. We have to fix it. So as far as this conservative warrior is concerned, first order of business is to gain control of the House and or Senate. And second order of business is to hold accountable our elected officials. November 8th, we party. November 9th, we hold feet to the fire. That's the way we have to do it. And speaking in that, and getting verbs in our sentences and actions in our plans, I am going to be bringing on some of the best, most profound, and most notable frontline warriors in our conservative movement. Next up, we are going to have Ryan Fournier, founder of Students for Trump, an absolutely amazing force in the conservative movement. Just ahead. Stay with us. So patriots, as I promised, you know, we are really going to be in the trenches. If we're going to take our country back, we have to have a plan. So my plan is to bring as many of the frontline generals as possible into this movement to help us fight and let us know what we can actually do to start taking our country back. One of those is, is a man I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Ryan Fournier is a powerhouse in the conservative movement. He founded Students for Trump. He is an entrepreneur. He is a influencer. He is an absolute dynamic conservative, and I'm pleased to have him with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Ryan, it is great to have you here. So tell the viewers who are watching, I know a lot about you, but tell them a little bit about Students for Trump and your movement and everything that you've been about and how this came to be. Yeah, no. So this is kind of uh, coincidental. Uh, I, I really did not expect at any point in time in in sort of my political career, if you'd call that, uh, that we would be at this level, this scale uh, operating uh, day to day in the way we do. Uh, when I started this, I kid you not, I think it was in a JCPenney store uh, with my mother and grandmother. And this was probably two months after Donald J. Trump came down the golden escalators. And, you know, I was watching one of his uh, sort of speeches. I don't think it was a rally. It was at a university. And uh, some of the stuff that he was saying, you know, really speaking to middle America, not using sort of all of these confusing terminologies to describe something as simple as, you know, tax code. Right. He was breaking things down, I think, in a way uh, that why we lost to Obama in the previous two elections. And I thought to myself, you know, if you're going to go against Hillary Clinton, who do you want? Right. You want like someone yes. like Obama in a way, somebody that is out of the circle, uh, you know, sort of not really the mainstream typical president. I mean, Obama wasn't, um, neither was Trump. And so I think that that's where I kind of drew the line in the sand. And that's when I, you know, started looking around like who's supporting Donald Trump? Like what's his numbers look like? And right. I didn't see any student groups. So I just created a Twitter account, uh, student for Trump. And I tweeted, uh, from my perspective about Donald Trump, 
uh, you know, different thoughts and stuff that he would say during his uh, debates and throughout the, uh, the rallies he did. So it kind of really started there, started social media, and then we went and built out a uh, very, very massive volunteer uh, ground movement. So from that point on to 2019, we uh, merged with Charlie Kirk in Turning Point Action. So we've been we've been on the front lines for a while. Fantastic. Were you surprised, Ryan, by the response you got when you sent out that first tweet? Were you taken aback at what the response and the support that started growing behind you? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was sort of a drip feed, if I were to say uh, anything on it. Uh, When you look at December of 2015, you know, sort of where controversies started to, you know, surround Donald Trump, people, you know, questioning his his ban on, you know, foreign uh, internationals entering the country, questioning immigration. And so there was a lot of, you know, fray in the party, I think, especially with the uh, 17 or so other contenders at the time. But what I noticed slowly as time went on is that as Donald Trump got on that debate stage and just eviscerated, uh, you know, the, the other contenders and was just spitting out facts that were, you know, essentially just, uh, you know, a total 180 on all of the neocon, uh, you know, the war machine, as I call it, sort of everyone who was running then against him, uh, total uh, retribution on, on their platform. And I, and I think he nailed it. And I think that's what that's the Trump you need back when you look at 2024. If we're going to be Biden, if we're going to beat the left, we need to have that same energy. Correct. And I think, uh, Ryan, you and I both agree on this. It's funny how it didn't become controversial until Donald Trump said it. This was apparently the platform that Obama said that he was on in securing our border and controlling illegal immigration. I heard speeches from that from Clinton and Obama, but when Trump said it, the left lost their mind. Yeah, no, I mean, you look at the same thing when you look at uh, Obama's foreign policy. Uh, the left is totally, uh, you know, sort of going against it in a way, calling it out, saying that it was disastrous, talking about U.S. intervention in the Crimea and Ukraine, how we sort of stayed away from that during his years. And that's one thing I, I agree with. I, you know, it's not, it's not none of our business, and it's still none of our business. Um, so that was, to me, you know, going back to what you said, one of those major things uh, that you're just starting to see transcend. Now you have sort of this woke left uh, in the neoconservatives, which have left the party already, you know, years ago or recently because of Donald Trump. They have like created sort of this love match. Uh, and, and now you're seeing that being the fuel. I know we're probably going to talk a little bit uh, about Ukraine, but now you're seeing yes. that kind of fuel together uh, being sort of this pro-war uh, peace that we're seeing now kind of erupt in the country, especially on social media. Twitter is really bad for it. You oppose anything and you're you're automatically attacked by this uh, by this sort of blockade of blue check marks uh, because you want peace instead of total war and uh, maybe nuclear destruction if it gets to that. So correct. And I mean I'm glad that you brought that up. It's important because it is. It the things that we're talking about now, they have moved the goalpost to what is controversial. What is, I mean, even ultra MAGA and the things that they now want to label us as extremist for saying, which was pretty fairly common course several years ago. And let's let's dive into this thing with Ukraine. Um, I know that I've written an op-ed piece, but you have strong opinions on that too. But tell them, tell the people who are watching, Ryan, because I really want to get a sense. You've you've actually, am I correct that you were a White House correspondent for a while? You've had access to the press corps. So you've also seen not only the conflict evolving, but the reporting on it and what we hear 
in from the news in these days. It's like night and day. Yeah, no, I will say uh, just a correction. No, I was not in the uh, the press corps. Uh, I, I don't think I could survive <laughs> that any day of the week. But uh, the, you know, the facts on this are pretty are pretty straight to me. You know, I think we all remember when Biden said that there will be no Nord Stream pipeline if Russia crosses over into Ukraine. We've seen the State Department, you know, sort of back up those ideas. And, you know, in the first 48 hours, I was just kind of reading all the news clippings on what was going on, what they knew, knew the moment when they, you know, looked to be like sabotage, like this was done by, you know, bigger countries, sort of a first world nation uh, capabilities to pull off such a, you know, a task of planting underwater TNT in a way that, um, you know, you'd be clandestine. Uh, in your operation. And, you know, there's only a few countries that can do that. And, uh, you know, when you first scrape at the surface, I think we were all thinking, okay, maybe this is Russia, right? Maybe they want to further destabilize the European economy. But then you have, on the other hand, well, a couple months ago, they already shut off the the gas line, right? Remember when Germany, yes. uh, Gazprom shut down the pipeline in Germany. So Germany was already being screwed. Germany's electricity prices, energy prices have skyrocketed since then. It's going to be a cold winter. Correct. So when I think about that, I'm like, no, that, that couldn't have been a reason. They're already doing it. They always had the ability to further destabilize the economy. Uh, then you kind of have on this other hand, it's like, why would they do it? Because I think this year estimated $285 billion estimated what they would have made this year. I guess now that's going to be less because the pipeline is uh, yes. inoperable. Um, but this is their cash cow is, is the point I'm getting at. And everything I kind of looked at that would contradict it, it always came back and I was kind of reaffirmed in, in my belief that uh, it was not Russia. Uh, and then when you kind of look at all, every other country, wasn't it such a coincidence that, you know, I think it was like a day or two after this explosion, if not the day of where, uh, you know, Poland comes out uh, and they're talking about the Baltic pipe, right? You know, yes. conveniently just Correct. cuts Russia. Out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think the whole thing was a ruse in a way. I think, you know, there's people privy to the information that we're probably never going to know. It's like a he said, she said blame game right now between Russia uh, and, and U.S. allies. So I don't know where that's going to go. All I know is, is that there is a major benefiter here, uh, and that is the U.S., because not only now is Germany put in this corner where they can't just bow down to Russia so they can help their people for the dark winter coming ahead for them. They can't do that. By doing that, they get out of the war. No one wants that. Who wants this war? Uh, so what's the alternative energy option? Well, the alternative energy options, LNG, liquefied natural gas, uh, yes. which we are like the major exporter of. So that's my theory here. I, I, I can't put blame just on the U.S. I, I don't know for certain. I don't think anybody does. Uh, but I, I, this was most certainly nothing of Russia. Uh, this was something of, of a nation that, you know, has a really formidable Navy that has the capabilities to do this uh, while also at the same time being a, you know, a NATO ally. I don't know if we were doing it. I, I would hope to God not. I did see reports of Black Hawk circling sort of the area where this explosion happened like a month or so prior. Yes. Um, we were doing training operations there apparently with the 6th uh, Naval Fleet. I, I hope to God it's not the case uh, because that's escalation that nobody – is prepared for. Uh, you know, we're, we're not even taking the front on this entire conflict uh, when it comes to, you know, diplomacy and going Correct. to a peace strategy. We're not even in the front line of that discussion. We're just kind of going to this maximalist approach with Zelensky, where anytime he asks for something, uh, we, we give it to them. Correct. Uh, sorry for 
going on a, a rant with that, but this has no, sort of been good. something that's been taking up my my uh, brain length time. <laughs> and people need to hear this. I read, I wrote the op-ed piece on it because it's one of those, yes, we're in the he said, she said. The problem we have is only one person has acknowledged doing it. And that's really scary. So for the illustration for people who are listening is, I feel that Biden is the joker of poker faces. So if you're going to stand up in a conference and acknowledge something like the, the pipeline does not happen if they invade, and who had the most to gain for, from it? Who benefits the most from all of this? Uh, we know that uh, Russia is a favorite whipping and scapegoat, um, not to say they're blameless, but they are a favorite whipping of this administration. It's always Russia, okay? Uh, global warming, it's Russia. This, it's Russia, it's Russia, it's always Russia. So I'm glad to hear another perspective on that. It was just letting Americans know exactly what we are dealing with in this day and time. We can't, right now, we can't even be on the front lines, Ryan, because we're still trying to figure out what's true and what's not. We can't even get credible, factual, uh, consistent information from the News Corps on what we're looking at and what we're seeing in real time. And that brings me to... Uh, let me uh, pick your brain a little bit, Ryan, about the midterms. What's going on? Everybody has their theories. The red wave. This is happening. Uh, the way we get it, we're looking at it being more likely than not that we will pick up some seats in the House. But what does that really mean? It, to me, my perspective is always it doesn't do any good to take the House back if you don't clean it first. But I would like to hear from you. What can? What are your predictions? What do you see? What do you think? will be coming on the horizon for the general election. Yeah, you know, I, th this is an election that's going to be determined on kitchen table issues. Uh, it's really come down to that in this election, I think, more so than than any in recent history, uh, because people are really suffering, like at levels uh, we, we haven't seen in years. You know, gas prices are temporarily down right now only because we're draining our strategic oil reserves. Correct. Uh, those prices are going to skyrocket January and February. You're probably going to be paying 7 and $8 and gas, right? Electricity prices are going up. Food prices are still on the rise. Uh, economy is not doing better despite Biden's claims that it is strong as uh, hell, uh, unquote. Uh, total laughing moment. Um, but nothing really is going really well for the Democrats. I think that that's the whole message here is that they really have no governing agenda. You know, as Jen Psaki said uh, just a few weeks ago, she said, if this election is a referendum on Joe Biden, the Dems will lose. And it sure as heck should be you know, a referendum on Biden. I mean, from the 13 heroes lost in Afghanistan um, to the crippling debt in this country, our economy's faltering, loss of jobs and wages. Any wage growth you saw was replaced by inflation, just totally knocked away. Uh, you know, I met a woman not too long ago, about a month uh, in the grocery store checkout line. We were talking over, you know, the price of just basic items in the store. And she'd lost over $40,000 within the span of three months from a 401k over $40,000. And, you know, it's like, yeah, you, at time, you you know, you may get that back, but this lady was near retirement age. She didn't want to work another five to six years, uh, you know, to get her earnings back and then some. Uh, and so, you know, you really start to hear sort of the suffering when you go out into the communities. And I think that that's one of the things, especially when you look at uh, the GOP out of the top four categories, number four being healthcare, we are winning uh, in terms of favorability with who should handle the issue. Uh, that's economy, education in schools uh, and crime. 
We are winning in those areas. When you look at the battleground polls across the country now, when I say this, don't get cocky with these numbers. Uh, don't get you know dismayed by some of the polls. The only polls you should be looking at are the battleground polls. Right. Uh, do not look at these national polls. They're just voter suppression at every single level uh, to keep you or keep a few at least that could win an election uh, to stay home. Uh, but right. we're looking really good. Uh, you know, bottom line, we're looking really good. Um, oh, and the number, by the way, 21 percent uh, average. We got 21 percent average above the Democrats in all of the battleground House districts on average. So we're looking really good. Uh, Pennsylvania, really good state. Fetterman's losing ground. Kelly uh, in Alaska is projected to beat uh, Murkowski, which is really good. I think we're about to flip the Nevada gubernatorial seat. It looks like we're winning that seat as well. Uh, we got really good candidates all across the board. You look at Florida, Ana Paulina Luna. We got Myra Flores in Texas, Bo Hines yes. here in North Carolina. We just have a very, very large, uh, diverse group of candidates, uh, different in many ways than the Democrat, uh, Democrats, not just with race or sort of these radical opinions, but really with just different characters who all love this country uh, and are just fighters. Uh, for the America First movement, fighters for, uh, you know, putting our country first. So I, I've never been, uh, you know, for me, uh, more ecstatic to look to see, you know, our, our people get over the finish line in November because it looks like it's going to happen. But we just can't get too cocky with it. We got to keep working, got to keep fighting. Okay. I, and I agree with that 100%. I'm not only an America First, I'm a first American. Let that sink in guys. But I want, I'd like, Ryan, for you to address specifically, what does the GOP need to do? We know what the gains are. What do we need from the people that are in office right now? What do we need from the voters? I would say to qualify their vote and make sure you know what you're voting for and holding our elected officials accountable for what they're doing with our vote. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, if I had it my way, I'd be doing paper ballots across the board, uh, yes. but that would be a, probably a federal decision. And I'd Last thing I want, I think anyone who understands the Constitution uh, is federal government, you know, parlaying in your elections. I don't think that that's necessarily a good thing. Uh, but looking at the state level uh, compared to 2020, uh, the Republican states, the red states, even some of the blue states have done really awesome work with trying to secure these elections, make sure that there's, you know, no little loops, uh, you know, odd ends where, where certain things can happen, especially with some of these mail in ballots and, you know, the fraud that we saw with that. Um I know that that has been a big priority among some of these states. But then also another thing, too, is it's, um, you know, the only way that we really win these things is by showing up in numbers that they've never seen before. Yes. You know, there, there can be no opportunities for cheating if there's 5000 Republicans showing up at one polling station uh, compared to the, you know, 1500 or so that came uh, throughout the day or Democrat. Right. It, there's no way that you can make this stuff up. And, you know, I think. For us, one of the biggest things that we had problems with looking back to 2020 was that, yes, for right reasons, people lost trust in the system. Uh, but I think that that also for elections ahead, it, it's kind of caused some issues. So everyone needs to get out there, uh, make sure you're involved, make sure you're voting, register to vote if you're not, uh, help door knock, help phone bank. Like these candidates, a lot of them are still looking for volunteers for the last couple of weeks here. So, I mean, if you're able to get involved, you know, do more than social media, then do it. Uh, because, you know, I don't want to wake up on November 9th. And I know all of you probably feel the same way on this uh, and think that maybe I could have done something more to yes. help so and so get elected somewhere. Uh, I, I think that if that's the ideology we go into this with uh, no cockiness, like I said earlier, I think I think we'll have really good shot here. I really I think do. You're absolutely on 
the money on target as always. I say this all the time. They're going to cheat, Raven. Of course they're going to cheat. We have to be bigger than the cheat. Don't just go and vote. Take five people with you. Head to the polls. Exactly. Do something. If you can't run for office, then support those of us who do. If you can't uh, be there at these rallies, write a check. Support knock doors. Uh, ring doorbells. Do what you have to do. Every single one of us has a role in taking our country back. You want to know what you would have done in 1776? We're getting ready to find out. So everybody report to the line. Nobody wins the war from the back seat. So we've got to get it done. So Ryan, I want to ask you one more pertinent. I would be less than prudent to not ask you your thoughts on student loan forgiveness. You know, uh, this is something that the Democrats, you know, historically, when you look at how the Democrats run a presidential election, they use the college campus sort of as a piece of a roadmap uh, to getting to the White House, because what they do is they go on these campuses and they lie. They lie strategically uh, about student loan debt, about free health care, all of these things that look really good on paper. But when you put them into actuality, they fall flat on their face every single time in a country like ours. There's no long term benefit from me giving out $10,000 to people under a certain you know, net income per year. There, there's no long-term benefit from that. There, there's nothing that you gain from that. Instead, I really love Tom Cotton's plan, Senator Tom Cotton, uh, where 50% uh, of the loan that's taken out by the student, the college becomes a guarantor of, right? Yes. Payment, yes. repayment of the loan. I believe it was also a 20% fine that they can uh, get if, if the student doesn't pay back the loan. So basically, at the end of the day, despite all the numbers and all the little pieces to it, uh, it makes it where there's competition within the system, but it also holds the university uh, accountable. I think that this is a long-term solution because instead of working on these woke classes, I know at one university you can get a class on Harry Styles now uh, and a class on Justin Bieber. Uh, oh, please, you know, not Ryan, even... I just ate. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no, it, it's serious. Uh, it, it's scary. But yeah, so what it would do is basically these universities aren't going to be able to make any, you know, who's going to leave this degree and make a lot of money people pay back this loan? So why do we have this degree? Holds the universities accountable in many ways uh, for their students' education. Long term, that's a much better solution than, you know, this temporary let me get your vote uh, sort of uh, ruse that they're putting on. But I think at the end of the day, a lot of people are now starting to realize, progressives included, that what he said, he's not going to follow through on because I think that they just amended it not too long ago. And now I think less than half of who would have been qualified aren't qualified. Uh, so I don't know what they're doing with it. I think it's a big scam. I think Tom Cotton's idea is a lot better. Uh, I uh, am almost paid off all my student loan debt. So, I mean, if I can do it, you know, get a job, <laughs> put money aside, <laughs> don't go and buy, you know, a Porsche. Right after you get out of college, uh, you know, save your money, be responsible. It's part of being, you know, a human being and a contributing member of society. And I think that there's some pride that can be taken on that day that you do pay off your student loan. Uh, now, you know, you're a doctor or a lawyer, uh, you know, some field or some, you know, degree where you're making money and you have paid off your student loan. I think that there's some pride to that. Uh, and, and I don't think someone gets to feel that when they just get it paid off uh, and it's sort of written away, like someone else is going to pay for you know, my future successes at this point. Uh, it really is disgraceful. I agree with you 120%. That's pay off your loans math for anybody who's paying attention because that's the essence. I always ask the question, if you don't have to pay back the loan, do you get to keep the degree 
or are we not allowed to go there on that? But the issue more than anything, or, and just to be clear, Ryan, we're talking about universities that are sitting on billions of dollars in endowments, correct? Yeah, no, I, I've said this before. I believe uh, Harvard is like at the top with like a 50 plus billion dollar endowment, Columbia University, Yale University, they're all at the top. And I said this right after this was proposed, they have, you know, the equivalency, you know, some of the networks of some third world countries, right? Like these, these are some pretty rich entities here that it's not taxed, totally tax deductible that just sits in these accounts and grows. Why don't they take a portion of that money and pay for their students, uh, you know, education, you know, at the end of the day, that'll never happen because these universities are greedy. Uh, there's more of an agenda here than just helping out the student. It's really comes down to the indoctrination of the student. Uh, you know, what used to be a bastion of debate and discussion, I would call a college campus is now like a center for indoctrination. Oh, yeah. uh, and it's the scariest, saddest thing to watch, but it's reality. They should be paying. Uh, if they support anything like this, they should be willing to put money in there too that isn't some taxpayer dollars, right? So Absolutely. And if you're not willing to pay for your degree, why should I? Um, if your degree is so useless that you can't pay for it and use it, but you think I should do it, absolutely have a big problem with that and agree with you, Ryan. This is called adulting for those who are paying attention. If you take out the loan, if you're not sure you can pay it back, if you're not sure if your Harry Styles degree is going to be worth what you think it is, then don't do it. That's how we... That's how we work at good old fashioned common sense. So I'd like to wrap it by saying, you know, Ryan, I, I love hearing this frontline perspective. You are actually walking the walk. Tell the viewers, talk directly to the viewers now about how they can reach you, how they can get involved and what they can do to help support what you're doing right now. Yeah, no, it's an honor to be on your program. Uh, you know, that's that's a really good message. It's, you know, don't give up the faith. Everything that we're doing here uh, is credit to you guys, credit to people who are going out there and donating, uh, using your you know spare time, going out there on the weekends on the call or the days of action to volunteer, uh, to door knock, to do all these things to help our candidates get over the line. Uh, but if you want to connect with me, if you guys have questions for me, if you want to follow, uh, you know, our commentary, we're covering the Russia stuff, Ukraine stuff, uh, focusing a lot on these midterms. And of course, uh, all the stuff, the dirty intricities of the Democrat Party, Hunter Biden, uh, all of the, you know, the January 6th stuff. So we're, we're covering all of it. But uh, check me out. It's Ryan A. Fournier. That's F-O-U-R-N-I-E-R. I'm on basically every platform. Come give me a follow. Reach out. I uh, would love to chat. Fantastic, guys. You heard it here. We are so grateful. So we will ask Ryan two pertinent questions before we let him go. One, does pineapple belong on pizza? No, absolutely not. I'm from Jersey. That's a that's Woo! a slap in the face. And from Texas, and I agree. And the second thing is, are you following me on social media? I might be. I'm not sure. <laughs> it depends on the account. I'll have to be doing that. Okay, we're going to have to put him on the spot. Ryan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inspiring the base and giving them hope and being willing to put yourself out there. It's not an easy road, but we're all glad that you're here. Thanks again, Ryan. Thank you. Well, I am really excited to be on this journey, on this movement, and this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. We want to be different than what we're doing now. I was raised by literally two Air Force lieutenant colonels. I was raised by warriors for a time such as this. 
I am honored to be on the front lines, and I am asking the patriots and the conservatives to get behind me. We can do this. The essence of communism is to break your spirit. It's to make you believe that the government is too big. They're too powerful. They're too all-encompassing for us to win. And that is simply not the case. There is nothing you can do when you've got the heart of a lion. In 1776, these guys were teenagers with rat-a-tat clothing and hand-me-down weapons who gave a big face palm to the British Army. We can do this. We were made for a time such as this, and I know for me, I am happy and honored to be on the front lines fighting for our country. It is the greatest country in the world, and she's worth fighting for. So join me. Uh, you can find me on social media at Raven Harrison, the conservative warrior, and Raven's Radar, or go to our website, ravenharrison.com. Get involved. Let us hear from you. Let us know the things that you want to address and attack, and enjoy watching us take our country back. Remember, if it's in your sights, it's on my radar. We'll see you next time. Oh! <laughs>